And so today we're going to be looking at God's way to think about it. All right. So uh, not specifically, there's nothing in scripture that says how to address the coronavirus. We're, I'm not making anything up here. Um, but uh, as we go through today, we are looking at this thing that I'm today going to be calling the hunt. And if you've been with us for any period of time, you may uh, recognize some of, of what we're going to talk about today. And if it's the first time with us, I will uh, kind of give you a layout of, of how this works um, as far as what God has called us to be about. And so as we look at this, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 32. And yes, we're actually covering all of that today, so um, we will be moving pretty quickly. We're not going to get into all of the nuance of every single one of these uh, pieces of the parable that Jesus lays out here um, with all these three different lost things because there's something else I think God is wanting us to, to focus on today. So let's let's jump in, and uh, I do want you to understand that if you have chosen to be uh, at home today for whatever health purposes, um, thank you for making a wise choice. Uh, we are, you know, if somebody makes you uncomfortable by trying to give you a hug and you don't want a hug, just give them the, the Christian elbow and the Christian punch to the face. <laughs> the last one is not the Christian part, so don't do that, but... Uh, uh, just feel free to communicate your level of ability to, to be all right um, and uh, know that there's no intent on doing anything harmful, but uh, you know sometimes we do things without thinking about it. Um, so be gracious with each other and with each other and uh, try to be as aware as possible of, of where people are at. All right, so Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 32 starts this way. It says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Have you ever thought about the first statement of that passage? Why in the world would tax collectors that everybody hated and notorious sinners, what does it take to be a notorious sinner? Like, do it a lot and do some specific, all of society thinks that's not okay. Like, all of us kind of have this set of like, well, you know, every, that's not really sin. Well, number one, wrong. I mean, sin is sin. That's not really up for debate. God has clarified some of that. But when all of society is like, mm, notorious sinner, right? and then it even makes it into scripture, like all these notorious sinners and tax collectors. Now, here's the thing. If you're a tax, if you're part of the IRS, I just want to say, thank you for doing a job it may not be a job that anybody really likes you to do, but it's a necessary thing. Keeping our country functional makes the reality of government. And so that is something that in that day was an abused reality. And these two things come together as notorious sinners and tax collectors. Why in the world would they regularly come to listen to Jesus speak? Is it because Jesus was telling them, what they wanted to hear? I don't think so. That's not Jesus' typical MO, is how he functions, like, let me just tickle your ears. That's super not what he did. He told them truth. And oftentimes, truth that was super uncomfortable. And at the same time, it says that tax collectors and other not notorious sinners often came to live. Why? It's got to be how Jesus said what he said. That he was delivering the truth they knew that right, but apparently in a way that might be very different from you. 
or how I deliver truth sometimes that might not be as gracious, might not be as clearly couched in grace, mercy, and love, not this like kind of fluffy love that we like to think about, but love that says, I will sacrifice of me so you can be better off. That kind of love goes a long way to making it possible for somebody to listen to something that may be difficult for them to hear. And it says that they often came. And that's incredible. As we were praying at setup this morning, um, with, the, with the setup, praying over this time, praying over our church, praying over our community, it was just interesting to hear people's hearts that God has been working in them as praying, God, we want the sick to show up. Now, whether that's sick physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually, the world has no answer for it, any of that. And we want people that are far from God, people that the rest of society says, ew, notorious sinner. Let me get you a shirt. Notorious sinner. Now, in this day and age, people might wear that proudly like, yeah, I do it really bad. That's not the point. But I do want people coming and showing up that are far from God because that's who Jesus was able to not just speak to, but regularly speak to because they often came to hear what he was saying. Interestingly, verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. What comes next in these three parables that Jesus, if you're not, under, if you're not familiar with the term parable, it's basically laying two truths next to each other, a truth that we're very familiar with next to a theological reality so that I can understand from what I'm familiar with how to apply that to a theological reality that it may not be as familiar with. And so Jesus does this on a regular basis. And this, these three parables that he tells, we need to keep in mind the setting in which these parables are told. He is speaking to these people, these Pharisees and teachers of religious law, who know everything they need to know about God, except his heart. Because Jesus, God himself, was more than happy. I would venture to say excited when somebody who was far away from him came and was willing to hear the things that he said. Willing to accept from him some of the truth that might be hard for them to hear, but also that he was just, I want you to know this because real love, actual love, God's kind of love, does not change the rules. It makes it possible for those that have broken the rules to be part of the family of God. And he wants that to be a reality. Not just a little. When I say once, I, we might think, oh, once like I want, you know, steak for dinner. No, they we're not talking about little once. Once to the point that he was willing to lay his life down, sacrifice personally for that thing to happen. So Jesus told them this story, verse 3. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, 
There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If I'm one of the Pharisees and Sadducees, I may have missed what Jesus did. What did Jesus just do? Boop! Right in the eyeball. What Jesus literally, like, I mean, if you're paying attention and you're one of those Pharisees, like, oh, I'm one of the 99, I'm the good one, I'm a righteous. And Jesus is like, well, you already got everything you need to know. I'm going to go after the ones that don't. And your attitude as one of the righteous You didn't get that attitude from me. If you want to talk about righteous, Jesus has the ability to say, I am the righteous. He's not in this measurement reality. He's not, I'm just so much more righteous. But that's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus was like, yeah, I love you. You're awesome. I made you. I know where your broken think comes from as well. But there's the... There's those out there that don't even know me yet. You've studied all about me. You have practiced some things, but you've missed my heart. So I got something I need to go do. I need to go find those who are completely lost, those that don't know, those that don't have the information you have. And I think sometimes we can fall into this Pharisee mentality that church is for us righteous. And if somebody came in that was coughing, what would we do? If somebody came in that was known in town to be a notorious sinner, what would you do? What would your response be? Would it be what Jesus says the shepherd did? Pick that person up? carry them in and say, rejoice with me because one who was lost is coming back to God. Would, you, would that be your response? That's Jesus' response. We as Christians, those who follow Christ, those who are like Christ, are we? I hope you wore sandals today. If you didn't and you have steel-toed boots on because you didn't want your toes stepped on, I don't really care i'm like a foot off the ground i will jump and jump on your toes because this reality of our mentality is something that is so broken if that's where we're at if we knew somebody who was living in sin or somebody who had doubt about this whole god thing came in and we don't have this like i'm so glad you're here if that's not our response then ooh, god might be wanting to check us today And when it comes to knowing God, I believe wholeheartedly that all of us were created by God to be in relationship with Him. Sin is the thing that has separated us from Him, our sin. But when it comes to knowing Him, when it comes to being in relationship with Him, we were all designed for that. But some people, like the sheep in this, wander off. We're not going to get into all... I mean, I could preach a sermon out of every single one of these. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to kind of take a little bit more of like a 30,000-foot view of this. But the reality is that some people do wander off in their relationship with God. Sometimes because they don't know better. Sometimes because 
Maybe there's somebody that has led them off. Sometimes it's because they look at the 99 and go, I don't really want to be part of that. And it takes the shepherd chasing them down to say, but do you want to be with me? Maybe the 99 chased you away. I'm working on them. Be with me. It does take God in the process chasing us down. And Jesus tells us this parable and then he moves on and he says this in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, maybe I should change this. Suppose a woman has 10 rolls of toilet paper. Maybe that'll make it more, we're on the same page. We know the value of what we're talking about right now. First service didn't get that one. Just saying, fresh comedy. No. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. I have no, I'm going to start again. Or so, <laughs> every time you read that passage from here on out, you're going to be like, toilet paper. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. I love this passage. Um, oh, goodness. We're not going to get into why she would have 10 coins and why 10 coins is so important because we think of coins as something pretty non-valuable. Um, but this reality of I have the nine, why don't I just settle for the nine? Is not God's mentality. The one that is lost, he's going to search for. But the reality is that when it comes to a relationship with God, some people do fall out. They fall away. Some people wander off. Some people fall away and are hidden in the struggle and maybe even the dirtiness of life. Maybe it's because of hurt. Maybe it's because of hurt that has been done to them. Maybe it's hurt that they've just gone through. Maybe it's hurt that they have caused other people and they think that there's no way God could love me through this. Maybe there's no way that God could love me because of what I have done or what I have thought. So they have fallen away in this reality of God's pursuit is willing you got to understand this. When God tells, when Jesus tells these parables, you understand he's talking about himself as the one who is searching. God is willing to clean the entire house, all of the earth, to find one. That, it should not give us a big head if you're the one, by the way, that's like fallen away, like, God's after me. Yeah, He is. He loves you that much. He has sought all of us, each one of us individually at that level. He has provided for each one of us individually at that level with His own life. And He does know where we're at. He does know our thought process. He does know this reality that sometimes life gets crazy and that can affect us. We see that in our world 
so clearly that people that would never think to act in crazy ways have acted in crazy ways in the last week. And we can sit in church and say, oh, those crazy people. If they only knew God. (laughs) If you're saying that, I have uh, something for you. If you know God, it's your job to go to them. How could they possibly have God's peace if they don't have God? Why would you expect anything other than crazy actions from people that don't have God's peace and His instruction and His presence in their lives? We should expect nothing but more chaos if we are not willing to take what we have as His peace, as His presence in our lives, and take it into our community, not hoard it for ourselves, not hoard His peace, don't hoard His presence, don't keep it to yourself, and don't just make fun of people from our high tower of presence of God stuff. No, we are sent by God into our community to bring His presence, bring His peace. We prayed again while we were doing setup that, God, make this place so obviously filled with your presence that if somebody does come in sick, if they do come in mentally sick with panic, with a lack of peace, that your presence would just flood that out of their lives. You know how he's going to do that? It's when we walk out of this building and we flood this town with our presence, and we have the presence of God in us and the peace of God in us, that's when the flood happens. I'm going to start preaching here soon. I don't... This lost coin parable. We've been practicing this for the last um, almost 10 years. To put it in a way that helps you kind of get your head wrapped around it, um, I give away coins. They're dollar coins. They're actually super hard to get right now. Like people have been going for toilet paper. Apparently they've also been going for dollar coins um, because a dollar coin gets you like a dollar's worth of stuff. I don't know. Um, We were actually very much hunting. Our treasurer was going to the bank and then another bank. Like, do you have dollar coins? Yeah, they're like, what's a dollar coin? That's counterfeit. No, you like we've got these from you forever. Anyway. As soon as we have more, I'll give them if you, if you have not gotten one. If, if you have got one and you just want another one because you want another dollar, that's not what this is about. And these are not magic coins. They haven't been blessed by the Pope or some other thing. They're just, it's a coin. It's a thing that will, I want you to hang on to. Keep it in your pocket. That when you feel it, it reminds you to be praying for the person that God puts on your heart, maybe for the first time today, that is far from him, and he has called you to join him in the sweeping of the house to search for that person. Okay, so the coin represents a person. It's not, again, there's no, there's not a magic coin. We will be putting them in the baptistry. Um, all the, when we do our baptisms, we give everybody a coin, and when they get baptized, they say, I once was lost and now I'm found. That's just part of our tradition that celebrates, and we've been collecting those coins over the course of the last 10 years, and we'll be putting them in the baptistry at the property when it gets constructed. It's not a wishing well. It's not like, I... It's just a celebration of the fact that that person who gave their life to Jesus Christ and professed that publicly at their baptism can say, I once was lost, but God called this church, these people, 
to love me, to show me his presence, to show me his grace and mercy, to provide the forgiveness that Jesus has provided. That is incredible. And I was lost, but now I'm found. And it's just the thing that keeps us on board with the fact that it's not my job to go out and introduce your friends to Jesus. You get to do that. If you have put your faith in him, if he lives in you, you are his ambassador, you are his intercessor, and he is calling you specifically to individuals around you to say, you know what, this person is my coin person. And it might be three people, it might be ten people, I don't know, but I want you praying for them regularly. God, give me opportunity to love them the way you love them, to show them your grace, to show them peace in chaos. I want you to see in my life that I am not freaked out when the rest of the world freaks out over legitimate and illegitimate things. God, my peace is found in you. And I'm going to love them and I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to sacrifice personally for them the way you personally sacrificed for me, Lord. That's my coin person. So I'm going to love them. I'm going to take opportunity to check in on them. I'm going to maybe invite them to a Bible study or maybe invite them to something that gets them one step closer to Jesus Christ. Maybe one step closer with other Christians. But I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, you're one of those notorious sinners. Stay away like the Pharisees did. So that's the coin. Then in verse 11 it says this, to illustrate the point further, because apparently two times was not enough for the Pharisees to get that Jesus was poking them in the eyeball. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the, uh, the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, sin against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be, of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he saw, and when he returned home, he heard music, dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. That's how it's supposed to 
happen when somebody comes back to God. And Jesus is still poking. Verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fat calf? Jesus is so on point with the heart of the Pharisees and of the law. What he referred to in one as the 99. Where he referred to them in the second parable as the coins that were already there. And in this one, now he's getting to the heart of it, which is, you're the son that never left. You have all the knowledge, you have all the things. And yeah, you've been diligent, you've been faithful. Thank you, that's wonderful. What in the world is this attitude that you've got going on, boy? Father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. That is God's mentality. It is not permissive, by the way. It's not like God wanted this reality for this son. It's not like any father wants a son or a daughter to make a choice that takes them far away from God. But there comes a time where we do understand that for every one of our children, we have got to say, you know what, God? I trust my children into your hands. You have trusted me to be their parent. I will continue to do that until the day I die. But Lord, there are times they have to make decisions on their own. And sometimes they do stupid things. And controlling them is not the answer. Being mad at them as the good brother is not the answer. Again, when it comes to this relationship with God thing, some people leave by choice because of themselves or because of the allure of the world or because they do not know how good it is to be God's kids. And they just want to check to see what it's like out there in the world and they make a decision to go away on their own. And Jesus is not applauding decision from this young man oh yeah man have fun no but when he comes back what is god's response the response in this is immediate he doesn't even let the entire explanation that the son works up get out he lets him say father i have sinned against heaven i have sinned against you and he has this whole plan to say, will you please just hire me as a servant? I'll be a slave in your house. He doesn't get that far because the father says, get him a robe. A robe in scripture is identification of family. 
We see this in the Old Testament. We see it throughout that there was this visual identification that they used to do. This was a robe. This one is son. Get the signet ring and put it on his finger. This is my inheritor. Kill the fatted calf because we are partying. Because my son that was dead in sin has returned and is now alive. Jesus does not put consternation on the son at his return. He is welcomed immediately. My question again, is this how you respond when somebody who you see as a notorious sinner? I mean, literally, the son identified, the second son identified very clearly what the first son had done. He wasted all your money on prostitutes, and you're going to welcome that filth back into your house, God? And God's like, why? Because my death has covered that too. My death doesn't just cover your best efforts to be good. Nothing you have ever done or could ever do could earn my love for you. But when you return to me, you get the full force of my love. You get the full force of being an inheritor of my kingdom. Jesus has called us co-heirs. Paul called us co-heirs with Christ. That's insane from the world's point of view. Makes no sense as to why dirty, filthy sinners could in the kingdom of God be equal heirs with Jesus Christ, the one that died for us. Who lived perfectly and could very rightly be able to say, "Mm, you're not good enough. But that's not what he said. He said, I love you with a love that you have never known before, and I will lay my perfection down as the sacrifice for you to be able to come back to God. Three times in a row, Jesus gives this parable, these parables about how much God's grace and forgiveness are available immediately. But I think there's something that happens on a regular basis where we fall into the same trap that this son that went away fell into. Finally, we do see that he comes back, but there's how many months in this story we don't know that he fought with himself. I'll, I'll just take a job feeding pigs because that's all I'm worth. Maybe you have in your testimony a time in your life where you knew you should have returned to God long before, but you didn't feel worthy of it. That because of what you had done to somebody else, or maybe what was done to you, you were now unclean and not worthy of being in God's presence, and so you stayed away from God. I'm here to tell you, if the church has told you that, I apologize. God has never said that. God has said, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It doesn't matter how dirty you have been. It doesn't matter how much you have doubted. It doesn't matter how far away from me you are. Come home. 
answer what God is asking you to do. Now, here's the thing. We may be the 99. We may be the nine coins that were still in possession. We may be the son who has stayed home. Our responsibility and our only response to those who come back to God should be the party. Should be picking up the lost sheep over our shoulders and saying, come and rejoice with me because the one that was lost has now been found. Not look how dirty this filthy sheep is. Oh my goodness, we need a cleaning party. Get some hand sanitizer. $10 a pump at the back. We got a real sinner here. It's a hot one. No, that is not it. It should be, God is good. This one has returned. Let's celebrate together. Because that's what God does. That's what his angels do. That's what all of heaven does. Why would we not join in that? We cannot have this second brother mentality. I've been faithful all these years and you're willing to welcome this dirtbag back? This prostitute buying jerk? That's not fair. I can see a like 25-year-old temper tantrum happening. You didn't even give me a goat. I just want to have a barbecue with my friends. Did you ever ask? <laughs> I mean, the father tells him, everything I have is yours. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's party. Added calf. Let's, let's just enjoy this thing. We get this mentality that God's blessing can be kind of divided out, but if some of it gets wasted, I don't know, we're that much lower on God's blessing. Oh, no. no, It's all still God's. And if we're His kids, there's no place, there should be no place in our minds for, ooh, there's just not enough, so I have to hoard God's blessing. No, we don't. God's blessing is a little bit better than toilet paper. It's better than bottled water. And so we can just say, God, your blessing is good. Thank you. Thank you for blessing me. God, how do you want me to bless the people around me? Because I know you're my provider. I will never run out of your blessing. So I don't have to hoard it. I I get to give it. I get to give your peace. I get to give your provision that you have given me, Lord. I can give that to people that are freaking out. Not so they can hoard it more, but so that they can understand that, oof, I was in line at Fry's. Nobody was giving away toilet paper. You're very different. I know something about my creator, who also, by the way, created you and loves you, who died for me and also, by the way, died for you. And how far you are away from him, I was that far. But now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a son or daughter of God. I can breathe this air knowing that God is good. Knowing that his presence surrounds me. His provision is everywhere. So come what may, I'm his. Who's your coin? When we get those, hopefully this next week, I'll be passing them out next week. If you don't have one yet, if you already have one, keep praying for the people, all right? But who's your coin? Who are you going to be interceding for? For whom will you be interceding for my English major friend? 
Some of you are like, thank you. You're all right. I'm with you. As we move forward, we may have to do a lot of flexing as a church to be the church. Church does not require that we come together physically. To be God's people, we can be God's people no matter what the government tells us we have to do in response to whatever is happening in the world. Okay, So if you have good ideas, the good idea fairy sprinkles dust everywhere, and I get that, but sometimes if you have a good idea you're not willing to enact, (laughs) it may not be something we can do. But if you have an idea that you're willing to help us with, depending on how this thing moves forward, we may not be able to be here. That's okay. I'm all right with that. God's church is not the building. It's no coincidence that we're in the middle of a building process and the government's like, you can't gather together. They haven't said that here yet, but wait for it. What are we going to do about that? Are we going to function as the church and still be submissive to the authority that God has placed over us? My answer is yes, we will. We just got to get creative in how we do that. It's really, the more I've thought about it today, it's incredible that this is the first Sunday that we've ever done live streaming because there's people that needed to stay home because maybe they have immune compromised kids or something else themselves, respiratory issues. I don't want people risking unnecessarily, but we're going to continue to be creative in how we do this thing, whether it's Sunday morning stuff or small groups throughout the week. All that is stuff that we're used to, but maybe we're going to have to flex with. Please don't disengage from the process. Okay? Find ways to stay connected. Share those ways that work with the rest of us. If you find something that works, listen, Facebook Live is a wonderful thing. And maybe Facebook is like, oh no, all the churches are using Facebook Live this morning. Maybe they don't like that. And guess what? I don't care. We're going to use whatever we can to continue to be the church and continue to spread the love of Jesus Christ and the fact that he has given forgiveness in a world that is panicking. We don't have to. God knew it was coming. He's got good ideas that he has put in your head about how to move forward. So let's keep doing that together. Okay? Let's love with God's love. Instead of hoarding his blessings, let's be free with it and trust that, man, if I'm going to give what God has given to me to others, I'm trusting that God's going to continue to supply for my needs. We're good. God's got us. And maybe this is the first time, and maybe as we move forward, we're going to have to look at different things just logistically as a church. How do we move forward if we don't have Sunday mornings? Oh, how do I even give? Listen, maybe this will be the first time that you give online. We've been doing that for years. Maybe that's something you take this opportunity to set up or text to give. All the different things are, are possible. How do I do small group? How do I take care of those who are sick if I really am scared about this thing? God, how do I do this? Let's move forward together and pray that he moves in mighty ways because I'm certain that when things go crazy, God loves to show up and show off about how awesome he is, and he's going to use us to do that, and he wants to flood our community with people of faith as we leave here today. Okay? You good with that? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are so good. Thank you, Father, that... None of this is a surprise to you. 
and that God, your provision is not based on anything that might come in attack, whether it's a physical attack or a spiritual attack. God, we trust you to be our defense. God, we will be obedient to what you have told us to do in your word. Lord, we don't want to cause another brother to stumble by doing things that are outside of what is necessary to continue to share your love with the people in our community. So God, fill our hearts and minds with your solutions to what is coming. God, we don't have to panic, but we do want to be prepared. So Lord, give us your ideas. Continue to show us how amazingly faithful you are. God, I do pray for protection for all those that are in our church that are part of the medical field. As things continue to progress, God, I just ask for your blessing on them physically, emotionally, mentally, that they would have the strength to continue through all of the different things that are coming. God, I pray for all of our Border Patrol agents, that God, you would give them strength, that you would give them patience, that God, you would protect them as they are dealing with different mentalities that come in from different places. God, for all of our first responders, I ask for your blessing. And Lord, for every single one of us that have opportunity to interact with any other human being, God, I pray that you would use us to speak your words of truth, in grace, in mercy, in forgiveness, and that God, you would use us to show your love to the people that are lost. That God, you would send us out as your co-searchers for those who are lost, that they would turn and come back to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray right now. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?